It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday. Uh, January 5th, 2017. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, uh, great to be with you tonight. Looking forward to our discussion on the virtual Bible study. Looking forward to a good discussion. Looking forward to your comments. You can comment tonight by calling 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. And you can also join in the chat room with other listeners on the program. And, uh, well, Happy New Year's 2017. Yeah, this is our first program in the new year. Uh, we, we wrapped up last week, uh, uh, the last of the 2016 programs. We're into 2017. We're looking forward to a good year of Bible study together on the Virtual Bible Study. And we look forward to uh, your suggestions for topics to cover in 2017. We've got ideas. We've got some things planned. But we'd love uh, for your comments and suggestions. Uh, I don't know. Usually our listeners' ideas are better than ours. I think so. And, and so what we do is we, we uh, solicit your input by way of topics to be covered, either something that might take a whole program to discuss or, as we really love to do, uh, you know, uh, send us some questions and we'll, we'll put several of them together and have one of our smorgasbord kind of programs. And we enjoy doing that, and I think our listeners enjoy uh, sort of rapid pace, uh, cover several questions in a, uh, in a period of time. Make it a New Year's resolution to send us your questions or your suggestions for topics uh, on the Virtual Bible Study for 2017 and make it a good year for us if we have your suggestion your feedback. Not too late. Uh, you're a few days late, but you can still catch up. The Bible reading calendar is on our website. We'll get you a hard copy. If you'll send us your email, your mailing address to questions at collegeview.com, you can get a hard copy of that. You can catch up. Uh, you're not too you late. You can start right now by going on our website, collegeview.com, and looking on the on the very first page, the a link to uh, our uh, 2017 Bible reading calendar. And... You could use that all year if you want to. You can go to the website and get your assignments. But if you'd like to have a hard printed copy, uh, as you said, Jacob, just send us your snail mail address and we'll get that in the mail to you right away. And you can stay up until you get your hard copy and then you're still on track. Not stay up. You don't have to stay up all night. No, you can stay up with your assignments. No, I mean. you can. You'll get done in no time. Yeah, it does, it's really, you know, you know, the Bible is the most important book of, of uh, all time, of course. It's not an enormously big book, and it, it's, it, it doesn't take that long to read through it. It, it on a daily basis. Our Bible reading calendar is a five-day-a-week calendar, uh, so you can read five days, have a couple days to catch up if you if you get behind. And so, what, five times 52, 260 reading assignments? Um, so, and, and those 260 reading assignments, you ought to be able to do that if you can read it at an average pace. I'm saying, on average, 20 minutes a day max would get that done. Okay. Yeah, it depends. 
Yeah, yeah. It does, it's really, you know, you know, the Bible oh, is oh, oh, the most oh, important book of, of all, uh, all time, of yeah, course. It's not an enormous... What happened? Uh, yeah, I, I, the, this computer is going nuts. We get, you're, you're coming back on yourself there. Okay, are all we right. good? You're good now. All right, uh, if you're listening in the chat and, and are in the chat room and, you, and you're getting either a good result or a flaky result, please let us know what you're seeing on your end as we keep trying to work out some new equipment bugs. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're good tonight. Okay. Uh, for our discussion. Tonight we want to talk about some false ideas that people have about the Holy Spirit. You know, in the past we've done programs, false ideas about God, and we, and I was looking, we've done false ideas about Christ, and we never had done one. We've talked about the Holy Spirit lots of times on the virtual Bible study, but just sort of a theme of dealing with some false ideas that people have about the Holy Spirit. And so we sent out earlier today to our update list, we always remind you that you can get on the update list by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list. We'll do it. Um, so we sent out today the idea of talking about false ideas concerning the Holy Spirit. And we had these questions. Okay. Number one, it's often taught that the Holy Spirit's not a person. How would you respond? Number two, many people think that the Holy Spirit still works miracles. True or false? Number three, some people teach that a direct operation of the Holy Spirit is necessary in the conversion of a sinner. Is this taught in the Scripture? And number four, many are saying that some sort of illumination by the Holy Spirit, in addition to the inspired Word, is necessary to help us live godly lives. Is this true? And so I think those are four important questions, and I do think that there's some real confusion. Unfortunately, a lot of the confusion is is made worse because there are some direct false teachers out there. I think people find the idea of the Holy Spirit to be maybe a little bit confusing, and then that's just compounded by the fact that people are teaching false doctrines about the Holy Spirit. Now, when you suggest that we talk about the Holy Spirit tonight, are you going to are you going to propose that you have all the answers about the Holy Spirit? Well, we have the answers that the Bible supplies. That's right, but there's going to be some things we don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm saying well, about the Father uh, and the Son. I mean, there's yeah. some things that we're getting into a realm here that we don't fully understand we understand what what the scriptures tell us about it but god hasn't chosen to reveal us everything about himself yeah and so so all we know about god which would also be true about the son and the spirit is what has been revealed to us and i think probably part of the reason why there is some confusion is because people like to run off um, on uh, wild goose chases in regards to things that are not revealed. Unrevealed, yes. All right. All right. So we'll look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com, because there are certainly a lot of false ideas on the program that we want to address. Behind the controls tonight, uh, Josh McCord is here. Josh, thank you for joining us tonight. Good to be here. And we're looking forward to hearing from you, Josh. So uh, raise that hand and speak up. I'll do it. But first and foremost, make sure that we get out on the air. That's right. Yeah. First things first. All right. So let's start in with this first question. What about the idea that the Holy Spirit is not a person? Um, I remember years ago when I was made some of my very, very first efforts to try and preach a sermon in a, in a, in a regular worship service, Josh. And I said something about the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, instead of calling the Holy Spirit He, I called the Holy Spirit It. And one of the men of the church there, who's actually sort of semi-related to me by marriage, uh, I was at a visiting at a place when I preached this sermon, but I knew this guy, he knew me, we, we've got common kinfolk, I'll put it that way. And I'll never forget, he did it in a very kind, and, and uh, but also, uh, he did it in a kind way, but he did it in a way that I'll never forget. He came to me and said, 
you know the Holy Spirit's not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. And I've never forgot that. And I, and I think, I hope, I've never made that mistake ever since then because he corrected me. He should have corrected me. Yeah. And, <clears throat> yeah. excuse me, but uh, uh, a lot of people directly teach, not just inadvertently, but the, a lot of people directly teach that the Holy Spirit is not a a person or a personality or a being. Um, yeah. There's some really crazy ideas out there. Some some of the people we run into most often who are off on this would be uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Absolutely, yeah. the, the Jehovah's Witnesses in their Watchtower publications. Uh, this is from Reasoning from the Scriptures, written in 1985. The Holy Spirit is the active force of God. It is not. It knows it is not a person, but it is a powerful force that God causes to emanate from Himself to accomplish His holy will. All right. Now, I don't know. You can't miss that. The Holy Spirit is not a person. Yeah, that's right. And Jesus is not God, too. So there's just God the Father and the Jehovah's Witness. Uh, yeah, they're, they're off on, on Jesus but, as well. But, but they're definitely teaching error there about they, the Holy Spirit. Now, they say it very definitively here. We would uh, we just would ask for a scripture that uh, explains the Holy Spirit in that way. That is simply, I'm sorry, he is simply a person. Uh, not a person, but a powerful force that God uses to emanate from himself to accomplish his holy will. Do you, have you ever read anything remotely connected to that in the scriptures? No, no. We're going to show just a, a whole bunch of scriptures here in a minute that okay. that show otherwise. Yeah. Uh, Mary Baker Eddy. That name should mean something to to most of us. I think she's yeah. the founder of the Christian Science Movement. She called the Holy Spirit divine science. What in the world that means? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the original. Apostles of the Mormon Church, a guy named Parley Pratt, said uh, uh, that the Holy Holy Spirit is a force like magnetism or electricity, and he called the Spirit a divine fluid and an impersonal energy. Uh, so there's just a there's just a, a a lot of difference out there, and 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 I don't know how would you from reading your Bible. Be able to describe the Holy Spirit as something akin to magnetism or electricity. Yeah. Don't read about either of those yeah. in the Bible. But yeah. You know, uh, and magnetism and electricity are natural forces. We understand them. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can manage them. You know, we can manage electricity and and we can use magnetism to our advantage. But uh, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is not anything like that. Not like a natural force in in nature yeah um yeah so how do we how do we prove that the holy spirit is a person a personal entity well uh i've got a whole list of arguments i put together here a while back um jesus referred to the holy spirit as he john fourteen twenty six, john sixteen thirteen. jesus yeah. called him he uh uh, the Holy Spirit has the characteristics of a person. He possesses will or desire, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. He makes judgments, Acts 15, verse 28. Um, he does things that manifest personality. He searches, 1 Corinthians 2, 11. He teaches, 1 Corinthians 2, 13. He speaks, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. He testifies, John 16, Excuse me, John 15, verse 26. He leads Romans 8, verse 14. Now, this is not just this is not the picture of just some kind of force that uh, God uses. 
He forbids Acts 16.6. He convicts Hebrews 10.29. He hears John 16.13. He intercedes Romans 8 verses 26 and 27. So all of those things are are things that are attributed to the Holy Spirit, which would indicate personality on his part. He has the characteristics of a person. And he also suffers things that reflect that he has personality. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, Ephesians 4.30. He can be insulted, Hebrews 10, verses 28 and 29. He can be resisted, Acts 7, verse 51. He can be spoken against, Matthew 12, verse 32. He can be lied to, Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Now, I know we, those are just, we've just been rapid firing through those scriptures. Uh, if you want a copy of that list that I put together, if you'll email me and just say, send me that list of ac- actions taken by the Holy Spirit, uh, and I can send those to you by email. But all of that, that just, that's just a whole lot of Bible verses that suggest that the Holy Spirit is is a personality, a being, not just some uh, indiscriminate force. Yes, he is a personality. He's a being. Uh, and in fact, he's God. He, we, you've mentioned some things there that uh, would definitely uh, characteristics would define a being, but it goes farther in the scriptures to define him as God. In Acts chapter uh, in Acts chapter five, in the infamous uh, instance of Ananias and Sapphira, as they sold uh, some land uh, possession, and uh, they lied to the holy to the Holy Spirit. It says here in verse three when they said, "Well, we sold it for." $20,000, but they actually sold it for $100,000, trying to look good when they were holding back some of it. Uh, Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? So he says that he lied to the Holy Spirit. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So he equates the Holy Spirit with God in, yeah. in Acts chapter five, verses three and four. So I mean, I, I just got—I think we just got to conclude that those who teach that the Holy Spirit is not a distinct personality or person or being—they're just wrong about that. Uh, the uh, the scriptures teach that there are three beings that possess the characteristics of deity. They are Father, Son, and Spirit. Now that raises a question, which is not really the question for for our study tonight. Uh, but the big question is, how can three be one? You know, because the scriptures are uh, clearly teach the idea of one God. Uh, uh, so how can there be one God but three beings in the Godhead is, is a troubling question. We've had a program on that in the Virtual Bible Study, and we may visit that again. We won't dive off into that too far now, but uh, uh, they are one in the sense of their complete unity and harmony, uh, perfect working union. Uh, the, the, there is one God in the sense of their unity of purpose and action. Yep. You've got to be able to reconcile what this picture of God in your mind. You've got to be able to reconcile it with verses like we looked at in Acts chapter 4 uh, or Acts chapter 5. And for the Holy Spirit being referred to as God and passages like John chapter 1 verse 1 where Jesus is, uh, uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 1 verse 1 where Jesus is told is described as God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And it goes on uh, and that uh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Um, and uh, the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Uh, it goes on and it references Jesus here as being God. Yeah. Uh, and um, so Jesus is described as God. The Holy Spirit is described as God. The Father obviously described as God. How do you reconcile those if there are not three distinct beings in yeah. the Godhead? And, and their their oneness is in regards to their perfect union. Uh, in John 17, verse 20, Jesus had been praying for his apostles, but he said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That would be the apostles and us who have believed based upon the word that the apostles have taught. Notice that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou sin. Now, wait a minute. If the Father and the Son are one in the sense that they are the same being, and Jesus was praying that all disciples would be one as they are. Would, would Jesus have been praying that we all somehow mysteriously become one being? Yeah, how's that work? No, he was praying that we would all be united as he and the Father are united. That's their oneness. All right. We were overdue for a break. When we get back, we'll uh, take your comments. Uh, Kent's sent in some here from Calhoun, Georgia tonight, and we'll look forward to yours as well. Send them in the chat room if you can. And uh, if you're listening to us live, how about uh, giving us a little radio check there? Let us know how we're sounding. Uh, we're, we're dealing with some new equipment here and uh, hopefully sounding okay on your end. But uh, if there are technical difficulties, please let us know. We're going to break and get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, this is Jordan Sanders from College View Church of Christ, and here's some thoughts for you today. Have you ever wondered why there never seems to be enough time to get everything done? Well, we may now have the answer. According to an article in U.S. News, an average American in his lifetime will spend six months at a stop sign, eight months opening junk mail, one year looking for misplaced items, two years unsuccessfully trying to return telephone calls, five years waiting in a line, and six years eating. Other recent studies suggest that we will spend as much as 20 years watching TV and even more time sleeping. Now, to put this in proper perspective, think of this. If you attend every service of church, Sunday Bible study, Sunday morning and evening worship, and Wednesday night Bible study, you will spend only about 1.5 years total. That's only slightly more time than you will spend looking for misplaced items and only about twice as much time as you will spend opening junk mail. But some Christians will not even do this much. Over and over again, we return to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Do not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. God commands us to assemble. Why? The context of this verse clearly shows that it is for our benefit. Are you taking advantage of this great blessing? Christian, how are you using your time? If you don't regularly attend all of the services, you may be spending more time opening junk mail than worshiping God. Isn't that a terrifying thought? Here's some quotes worth pondering. Happiness is a dividend on a well-invested life. A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a person who isn't. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we are back on the virtual Bible study this week, and we try to be here every week, and we hope you will as well. Make it a, a resolution for 2017 to join us weekly on the virtual Bible study. 
lot of the folks listening in the podcast, we're glad that you do. We want to hear from you. and uh, lots But we love to have live listeners, too, who can help it. us and participate in the chat room and by calls and so forth and emails. So if you can listen live, do so. And not every week. Maybe you can't do it every week. But if you can, you got a, a free night on a Thursday night. Uh, you know what? For a long time, for years, we've been using the uh, uh, sort of the little slogan, use your computer for something good. People aren't doing that anymore. Uh, using their phones for it. Yeah, well, or, use your or, phone for something good. But, you know, I could think it would be a valuable resource for families, you know. Uh, turn the TV off, get around the computer screen, and turn on the virtual Bible study. There's an hour of devoted Bible study every week uh, that would be good for your family. Yeah, but i got to admit, uh, we've got a lot of little kids running around, and that's a next to impossibility for us to have yeah, an hour but, but of quiet. Some people with some people with older kids might with be able to pull older off. kids, you need to, you ought to try that. Yeah. Or if you can't, if you just can't pull it off, definitely catch those podcasts. Uh, yeah. Kenneth was in the chat room last night. He said he'd listened to almost every podcast, but that was last week was his first time listening live. Yeah, so lots of listeners. Out I know there a lot, of, I, and I've talked to a lot of people who who. Pick up the podcast on their way to work on Friday morning, which yeah. is that's a good good way to spend uh, drive time. All right, so yeah, if you're listening, we'd appreciate hearing from you. So just drop us a line, let us know you're out there. <laughs> Questions at collegeu.com. If you've never been to our website, we'll talk about that in a minute. Go, go ahead. I, we'll, I've got an email. Uh, wanted to comment on an email that, that we got from Kent in Georgia uh, concerning the idea that the Holy Spirit is not a divine person. He says any doctrine that denies the divine person of the Holy Spirit as a doctrine that's false. And he references John fourteen sixteen through 17. I mentioned that earlier. And he says, notice the pronouns that Jesus used in reference to the Holy Spirit, he and him. Yeah, let's look at that. Jesus said in John chapter 14, begins verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him and he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, this is referring, obviously, Jesus referring to himself and he's praying to someone. He's not praying to himself. He's not talking to himself. He says he's praying to the father and the father is going to send another. And it's not Jesus. It's the spirit. Yeah. There's three distinct beings that are presented there. Yeah. Uh, it would be that would actually uh, and, and that's not the only place, but there are several places where it would actually be deceptive if the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God were all just one being. Then there, there's some really deceptive explanations being offered by Jesus at various oh, yeah. places where he suggests that you know the the Spirit testified of him, the Father, and the you know he didn't testify of himself, but the Father testified of him. Well, if there's the same being, then he was presenting a a bogus argument. Right. So, okay. All right, let's let's uh, move on to our second question, false ideas about the Holy Spirit. And this one, uh, we've also dealt with this in a whole program on the virtual Bible study. But it's the idea that the Holy Spirit still is empowering people to do miracles in the world today. Right. Plenty of folks in the world that are still claiming that. They turn on the television and you can find a lot of examples. Yeah. Uh, there are those who are just 
overt about the idea of doing miracles. You know, we we sometimes we use the terminology charismatic groups, or uh, sometimes the terminology Pentecostal has been uh, uh, assigned to them. Yep. Um, because on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit did empower people to do miraculous things, and and for years thereafter, as the as God was in the process of revealing His will to mankind, the the New Testament will of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit was working miracles uh, through men, empowering men to work miracles. <clears throat> and I, I think that we've got to make two points. One is we don't believe that's happening anymore. We'll tell why here in just a minute. But secondly, I think it's very important for us to stress we believe every miracle recorded in the Bible. We, we are not like the modernists who, set, who try to offer a naturalistic explanation for every miracle you read about in the Bible. For, you know, for instance... When Jesus walked on water, uh, well, actually, I've heard a couple of crazy naturalistic explanations. One is that there was a freak weather system had moved through on the Sea of Galilee and sort of flash froze the surface of the uh, water. Yeah. And Jesus was walking on ice. And another was that that there was actually very sh- uh, shallow shelf rock just under the surface of the water that that Jesus was walking on actually rocks that were just under the surface of the water, which, which explanation also is very goofy when you calculate the distance that the, the apostles had rowed away from shore. Uh, it just, we're not among those who are trying to offer naturalistic explanations. We believe to, every miracle occurred just as the Bible says. Exactly. But what we are saying is we think that the time for that has ended and the Holy Spirit is no longer empowering people to perform miracles today. And the first reason we would think that, uh, well, just without going too deep into the scriptures and making a very deep argument, you just don't see miracles like they were performing in the New Testament today. Well, I think that's one way to to sort of at least uh, uh, approach the subject is, where where are the people who are being raised from the dead? That's right. You know, Jesus said in Mark 16... Verse 17, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Don't see that anymore. Well, other people claim it. They're, 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 you know, exorcism is becoming a big well, deal these true. days. Okay. They will speak with new tongues. We don't see that today. Now, people claim, well, claim to it. speak in tongues, yeah. but yeah. that's not the kind of uh, speaking in tongues they were doing in the first yeah. century. Yeah. It's a bunch of gibber. I'm speaking in tongues. You know, there in in First Corinthians fourteen, if any man speaks in an unknown tongue, let it be by two at, at the most three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. This was a la- this was a language that others could interpret, <clears throat> and uh, it was also a language that could be understood in the native tongue of the people who spoke those. Uh, 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 they said in Acts chapter 2, verse 11, we do hear them speak, as the apostles were speaking in tongues, we do hear them speak in our tongues the yeah. wonderful works of God. Yeah. And so it, they were speaking known languages, not just gibberish. All right. Don't, so we don't see speaking in tongues today. In verse 18 of Mark 16, they will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing or any, anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Taking up serpents and drinking deadly things. You know, we talked about that, that snake handling preacher a few years ago. And the reason we talked to him is because his preacher buddy had been taken up snakes and had died from it. Yeah. Now, so 
They're not doing that today either. They're not taking up serpents and they're not hurting them. They're hurting them. So that, that miracle doesn't occur. And they're laying on the sick and they will recover. Well, we don't see that either. You know, frankly. I've been to, a, through the years, I've been to a lot of faith healing rallies just to observe what these charlatans do. I've, I've encouraged people through the years, if you've never been to one of those, because you don't see them as much anymore. It doesn't seem like they're having those big faith healing rallies like they used to, but they still do. And if you hear of one in your area, go. By all means, go. It is a valuable experience to contrast what you see there with what you read in the New Testament. They're not doing the same thing. You know, uh, at, at one of those faith healing rallies, a, a typical healing will be that they heal someone of hearing loss or bad headaches. I can't see hearing loss, and I can't see a headache. And so they, they supposedly heal the headache, and, and they all are rejoicing for the, the, healing of mir- the, the healing miracle that took place. I couldn't see any difference before or after. Yeah. But I tell you, when they did it in the New Testament, uh, you heal a leper, you know that. The, yeah. You heal a man who was born blind, had always been blind, and now he can see. People are aware of that. Uh, or yeah, or the deaf who can now speak. And, and these weren't just like, well, I've never seen him before, but he looks like he's better. These were people they were seeing every day because yeah. they were in a public place. They were yeah. coming and begging. And, or, and, uh, uh, or raise a man who's been dead for four days, Lazarus. Yeah. I mean, these are known. These, these were visible, verifiable miracles, and that's not what's happened today. But when you cart a guy up on the stage in a wheelchair and he claims he can't walk, I have no way to prove that. Yeah, I can't say. Well, I he, never knew him before, and, 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 and he I, can get up and walk. But anybody can get up and walk and, in a wheelchair if they're not. And these to guys have been exposed for doing that very sort of thing. And you also see the reason why they were performing the miracles. We need to talk about this. But yeah. in the, in the 21st century, the reason they're performing the miracles it's to enrich and line the pockets the of the one doing worker, the miracle yeah. worker. In verse 20 of Mark 16. They went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. It wasn't a money-making scheme. It wasn't a popularity contest. They were confirming the word with yeah. the signs. Let's let's grab our mid-hour break, and when we come back, we'll, we're going to offer three arguments, three yeah, concise we'll arguments, why we know that we? miracles are not taking place today. All right, well, to get a break and get your thoughts, don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. A reportedly true story is told about a school principal who, at the end of the year, encouraged all of his teachers to write out their resolution for the new year. He promised to post these on the faculty bulletin board so that all could benefit from them. When the resolutions were posted, all of the teachers crowded around to read the suggestions from their co-workers. Suddenly, one of the teachers erupted in a fit of anger. Mine's not here. He purposely left mine off the board. He doesn't care about me. That just shows how little I'm appreciated around here. The principal was shocked. He had not intentionally left anyone's resolution off the board. He rushed to his desk and found the missing note under a pile of papers. He immediately proceeded to post it. The resolution read, quote, I resolve not to let little things upset me anymore, unquote. What we see here is a clear case of resolution without commitment. All of us are guilty of this, and it happens too often. Failed diets, abandoned exercise plans, neglected projects, and so forth are all the result of a lack of commitment. But without doubt, the most serious area of concern is in our spiritual service to God. At one time or another, we have all said, I need to do better, and I intend to do so. It may involve our attendance at the worship services and Bible studies, or it might be in personal study and prayer. Perhaps it involves personal work or sharing hospitality with other Christians. 
whatever it might be. The resolve is good, but we need commitment to see the task through. And so as we enter into this new year, let's do some serious personal evaluation. Make some needed resolutions and then follow them through with commitment. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hey, Mommy. Hunter's World. Um, this is the virtual Bible study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, and uh, we want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We will, uh, encourage you to find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And uh, like we said earlier, if you've never been there, check it out. And if you listen to us only in the podcast and you're not able to listen to us live, we still welcome your comments. Questions at collegeu.com is the way you contact us. We talked to earlier about, uh, <laughs> we were talking about, you know, you got a lot of young kids and maybe hard to listen live on Thursday night. My wife's trying to listen at home, and uh, she sent me a message during the break. She said, what is it we can't do with young kids? I said, listen for an hour. She said, oh, I couldn't hear that. Because <laughs> <laughs> so she's not listening. I guess, can't yeah, listen. Yeah, I guess you got the young kids problem there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. All right. So, uh let me give you three quick arguments. I think they're ironclad arguments as to why we can be certain that the Holy Spirit is not working, not empowering men to work miracles today. First of all, uh, you alluded to this a minute ago, Jacob. There was a purpose for miracles. Right. The purpose, as in uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 20, says to confirm the word. The Lord was working with them, confirming the word with signs which followed. The Hebrew writer uh, says a similar thing in Hebrews chapter uh, Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verse 4. God bearing witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Uh, this is the, the great salvation which first began to be spoken by the Lord was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God bearing them witness with signs and wonders and diverse miracles. So uh, the, the idea is that the this is very reasonable. This is logical. Here these men were going all over the known world of the day, and they were preaching a new a new doctrine. Uh, why should they be believed? These are just some some crazy men who came from Judea. They need to be locked up. Let's get rid of these guys. They don't, no, wait a minute. They work a miracle which served as sort of a badge of authenticity that God was with them and that the message they were teaching was legitimate. So the purpose of miracles was to confirm the word, to reveal and confirm the word of God. Once that had been revealed and confirmed, once that work was accomplished, the need for miracles wasn't there anymore. Uh, I've, I've heard it illustrated as like you use scaffolding around a building when you're building a building. When you get the, when you when you're done building the building, you take the scaffolds down. They're not needed anymore. I think it's really a practical way to view miracles. So argument one, they served their purpose. Their purpose was to confirm the word. It was uh-huh. not just to rid the the world of any sick people or people that uh, had any infirmity. If we think about Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh he, it, that wasn't cured. We think about Timothy. Paul could have healed Timothy. He told Timothy to take some medicine for his stomach's sake and his often infirmities. Uh, we think about other people in the in the scriptures that are that are mentioned um, that were close <laughs> companions with the apostles that were were ill. Second Timothy four uh, verse twenty, Paul says, "Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick." Well, why did he leave him sick? Why didn't he heal him? Because miracles were not just for the purpose of accomplishing a healing or a miracle. They were for a purpose of confirming the word. Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 27, was uh, nigh unto death. He was so sick. 
the, the, the purpose of miracles was not to heal, just to heal sick people, just to make them better. There was a purpose behind that. Okay, real quickly. So, so the purpose so, is gone. Number one, purpose has been fulfilled, mm-hmm. and therefore the miracles have been taken away. Number two, the means by which you could receive miraculous gifts of the Spirit is no longer available to us. Two ways you could have as a human being, been empowered by the Holy Spirit to work miracles. One was by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Only have two recorded instances of that in the New Testament. Acts 2, uh, in Acts 1, Jesus had promised the apostles, and he actually told them, you remain in Jerusalem. Uh, He says, uh, Acts 1, verse 4, uh, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. We believe that happened in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to work, uh, speak in tongues and work miracles. So the promise was not to everybody, but specifically to the apostles that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were. The only other recorded instance of Holy Spirit baptism, Acts 10 the household of Cornelius, the first Gentile converts. And that makes sense. That was for a sign to show that the Gentiles were now accepted in the kingdom just as Jews were. Uh, and in fact, interestingly, in Acts chapter uh, 11, when Paul, when Peter was retelling that event, <clears throat> he said, uh, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. The only thing that that Peter could relate that to. The only similar thing that he'd ever experienced was what had happened to them on the day of Pentecost. So the the, <coughs> the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a very limited thing. Uh, only two recorded instances. It was never uh, offered to everyone, never promised to everyone. It was very limited in scope. But there was another way to receive the, the, the laying on of the apostles. By the way, uh, at that time, there were two baptisms. Uh, there was baptism in water for the remission of sins, and there was baptism of the Holy Spirit. But in Ephesians 4, uh, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse uh, 5, that there's now just one baptism. Holy Spirit baptism has been done away. The other way you could get it was by the laying on of the hands of the Apostles. Uh, we don't have time. We're going to run, really going to run out of time here in a minute, Jacob. But in Acts chapter six, Philip was a man who Acts had chapter eight. Well, but in okay. chapter six, had, yes. the apostles laid hands on him. Yes. In Acts chapter eight, he went to the city of Samaria and preached and did miracles. Yes. But he could not pass that gift on. It required a couple of apostles, Peter and yeah. John, to come down. Uh, they then could lay hands on people to receive uh, the the miraculous measure of the Holy Spirit. But Peter, excuse me, Philip could not pass it on. So you could get it by the apostles laying hands on you, but you couldn't pass that on to someone else, which obviously indicates that once the apostles were all dead, that means of impartation was gone. So there's your second argument. Second argument is the way that you could get miraculous gifts not available to us. Purpose fulfilled, means of obtaining no longer available, and the third argument, very concise, is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The Apostle Paul actually said that the miracles were going to end, and he told when. Uh, and it goes with the reasoning we gave for the first reason that the miracles have ended, is because their their purpose has ended. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about when the purpose is, is complete. Exactly right. Whether there be prophecies, this is verse 8, 1 Corinthians 13. 
<coughs> whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Or are you, <coughs> you want me to finish? Yeah, finish. <laughs> All right. For First Corinthians chapter thirteen, uh, love, love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are, there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So there was a time here when they, these spiritual gifts, the prophecy, the knowledge, the tongues, were going to vanish away. And that, that would go away when that which is perfect has come. Then that which is in part will be done away. They were doing these things in part. When that which is perfect has come, it will be done away. And, verse, uh, and so that which is perfect, obviously, from other passages we can conclude, is the completed word of God, the completed revelation. And when that completed revelation came, there would be three things that would abide in verse 13, faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We could get into further explanations as to why uh, those three would, uh, love would be the greatest of the three that would remain, but faith, hope, and love would remain once the completed revelation had come, which it has come, we still have faith, hope, and love, but we do not but have those miracles the, the miracle, The miracles have ended. There's your third argument. Okay. Paul said it, it would they would end and said when they would end. All right. So the Holy Spirit is not doing miracles today. Uh, um, it is a false doctrine, Kent says, that affirms that the Holy Spirit works miracles today. He references 1 Corinthians 13. Okay. All right, quickly, uh, let's go to our third question. Some teach that a direct op- operation of the Holy Spirit is necessary in the conversion of the sinner. Is this taught in the scriptures? Um, uh, a Baptist preacher, an old man who debated uh, years ago, Ben Bogart, some will recognize the name Ben yep. Bogart, yep. He says, the Bible teaches, this is a quote from a debate that he had, the Bible teaches that in conviction and conversion, the Holy Spirit exercises a power or influence in, a, in addition to the written or spoken word. Uh, now, he's teaching something that's a common idea, that if you're going to uh, be saved, the Holy Spirit's going to have to work on your heart. That's really linked to the Calvinistic doctrine, Jacob, of... Um, Inherited depravity. Yes. You know, you're a depraved person. You can't do anything total, on your own. You're total totally depraved. depravity, yeah. And, and so the Holy Spirit's got to act on you so that you're capable of responding to God. And so this is the idea of the direct operation of the Holy Spirit. And it's, they, they claim that it is necessary. Now, but I don't think it's limited to Calvinism. I think it's becoming less limited to Calvinism in our present day. I think more and more people... Maybe even some who would claim to be members of the Lord's church are maybe starting to think this way, that the Holy Spirit has to do something here. Yeah, and and the scriptures just simply don't teach that. The Holy Spirit uh, is a, 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 plays a vital role in the conversion of a sinner, but he does that work through the inspired word. Uh, uh, you know, we can hear and understand. And in fact, go to all the cases of conversion in, recorded in the book of Acts. What happened? Someone taught, someone heard and believed and responded. And there's no indication that the Holy Spirit acted miraculously on any of those people, a direct action of the Holy Spirit. It was always the preaching of the word. You heard the word, you believed it, you responded in obedience. Yeah. Uh, it, it, if that is the case, then, and, and the Holy Spirit is moving on some people, but he's not moving on others, then we have a real laundry on our hands, Josh, because now God's picking and choosing who he's going to move on on and who he's not. Yeah, so we see all throughout, like Greg was saying in the book of Acts, the tool that the Holy Spirit used was the Word, 
and he was getting his will accomplished by using the word to save people. Uh, Acts 2.38 says at the end of it, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that's salvation, but that comes through the word. So the Holy Holy Spirit uses the word as his tool in order to uh, have people be saved. Uh, let me read what Kit said uh, in his email to us. He said, the issue is not whether or not the Holy Spirit plays a role in conversion. The issue is how he's involved in the conversion of the alien sinner. Such is not accomplished by a direct working of the Holy Spirit, but rather by the gospel of Christ, which is the inspired word of the Holy Spirit. Romans 1, 16, 17, Acts 2, verse. If individuals were converted by a direct work of the Holy Spirit, then it would be the fault of the Holy Spirit when individuals were not converted. Such, of course, is wrong. It is never the fault of deity when sinners do not obey the gospel. And I think you were alluding to that, too, Jacob. You know, well, if if it's a direct action of the Spirit that makes it possible for me to be a Christian, then why why isn't he doing that same thing to everybody? Yeah, that's right. Um, shall we get a break? Or we yeah, let's to... grab a break and maybe make a couple more comments along yeah. this line, and then we'll wrap it up. Jeff said you said to inform you if there was anything weird with the picture. Oh, wait, it's just Jacob. Jeff's about to have his stream cut off tonight. That's <laughs> enough of that, Jeff. <laughs> Keep those comments to yourself. I appreciate your feedback, though, that uh, we're getting out. And uh, we want to hear from you. About 15 minutes more to go when we get back. Uh, don't go anywhere. The Verse Bible Study will continue right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi. My name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to Him. Here at the College of the Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. According to a recent survey, the great majority of unchurched people have a church background. Almost two-thirds of them, 62%, went to church regularly as a child, and one out of three unchurched Americans are actually planning to return to church. Eight out of ten unchurched Americans would welcome a gospel conversation, and among the unchurched, 55% said they would attend church if invited by a family member, and 51% said they would attend church if invited by a friend or neighbor. That information is via LifeWay Research. The Word of God says in Revelation 22, verse 17, and the spirit and bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program, and uh, we don't have much time, but those stats you just gave really, uh, well, they encourage us that we need to be getting busy. Invite somebody. Talk to somebody. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Lots exactly. of people will listen. It, it, yeah. we, we sort of wring our hands. Nobody cares. But, boy, the, the statistics say otherwise. Yeah, All exactly. Right. <laughs> All right, real quickly, I, just the idea that, that you got to have a direct action of the Holy Spirit uh, before you can oh, come to God. Um, 
Let me parallel a couple of verses here. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Oh, wait a minute. That maybe sounds like that direct action of the Holy Spirit we're talking about. Yeah. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body. 1 yeah. Corinthians twelve thirteen. Yeah. Well, look what Paul said in Ephesians 5, um, verse 26. In Ephesians chapter 5, at verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. There's baptism, and it's ascribed to the word. Yeah. Bringing people to baptism, and so the spirit, the spirit is a, a critical person in this whole process of conversion. Without the spirit, nobody's converted. That's right, plain and simple. But, but it's not a direct action of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit acting through the Word right. to convict men's hearts and to provoke them to obedience. Right. Okay. So I think that I think that's a a. a an important distinction to make because a lot of people believe that. I like the way that Kent put it in his email. He says the issue is not whether. Or yeah, not. I read that. I read oh, that. You did. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm I sorry. got that. Okay. okay. All right. Let's go quickly. Let's go to the fourth question. The fourth question is: Many are saying that some sort of illumination by the Holy Spirit, in addition to the inspired Word, is necessary to help us live godly lives. Now we're hearing <clears> this <throat> all over the place, not necessarily in those terms. But that, 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 that we've got to have some help. Yeah. Uh, and and th- there's some popular authors who are teaching this. Here's a quote from Roy Zuck of the Dallas Theological Seminary. He says, the Bible interpreter must also depend on the Holy Spirit. Uh, he says, the blessed spirit is not only the true author of the written word, but also its supreme and true expositor. And, and so you get the idea that, you know, uh, yeah, the Spirit produced the, the Word, but he's going to have to help me understand that. I can't just read it and understand it. I, he's going to have to explain it to me. He's going to have to enlighten me. Or They, they often use this, this expression, illuminate. Mm-hmm. He must illuminate me. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not capable of, of figuring that out on my own without some direct assistance of the Holy Spirit. Um, and and we just think that that's absolutely wrong. Paul said in Ephesians chapter uh, 3, we, we've used this so many times in the verse of Bible study, but I think it's really an important text. Ephesians 3, uh, verse 2 beginning, he says, You have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul makes that just really straightforward. It was revealed to him. Uh, he wrote it down. We can read it and understand. What what what's hard to understand about that? I mean, there, there's no there's nothing in that process that suggests some some extra assistance by the Spirit to illuminate me as to how to understand or how to apply what I have read. In fact, also in Ephesians uh, chapter five verse seventeen, Paul says, "Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is." The very idea that we're commanded to understand indicates that we can understand. All right. Uh, that is a, an interesting passage you pull out there that in Ephesians 5, verse 17, that we're to understand what the will of the Lord is. And that goes in with uh, the verse that uh, 
that can't uh, he follows up with Ephesians 5:18. He says there's no illumination of the Holy Spirit to assist Christians in faithful living and uh, living faithful lives. Ephesians 5:18 tells Christians to be filled with the Spirit. Colossians 3:16 is a parallel passage to Ephesians 5:18, informing Christians to be indwelt by the Word of God. Ephesians 5:18 speaks regarding the fact, whereas Colossians 3:16 tells us how such is accomplished by means of the Word. The New Testament is all sufficient for our needs; it can be read and understood without any direct help from the Holy Spirit. Second Timothy 3:16 and 17. Second Timothy 2 verse 15. To call for a direct working of the Holy Spirit on Christians would be having Calvinism run in reverse. Interesting. Interesting thought. Um, You know, one other practical way to argue this, Jacob, is all these different denominational authors who are suggesting that you need the, the illumination of the Holy Spirit in order to be able to understand and apply the Scriptures. Well, if the Holy Spirit is illuminating these people who are claiming it, then wouldn't it be practically necessary, in a practical way, necessary that they all would be understanding it in the same way? You know, that's a very important fact. That, that there would there would be perfect harmony in their applic- understandings and applications. And it's not. There's people all over the board who are claiming this illumination, and they end up teaching different things. And so they would have the Holy Spirit explaining one thing to you, Josh, and he, he's... He's helping me understand it in a different way, which is just crazy. It's impossible, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. God's not going to give you a revelation and me a revelation that are contradictory, that are polar opposites, and that was, that's what we see in, in the religious world today, Josh. Yeah, I was thinking about Romans 8, uh, verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I know we've we've kind of talked about it. People talk about being led by the Spirit. How does that happen? And it's not, you know, the Spirit speaking directly to one person or another and telling me to do one thing. Uh, It bears witness with our spirit, and we know that we're being led by the Spirit when we do what He directs. and, And He uses the Word to do that. Exactly right. You know, but you hear a lot of people say, well, the Spirit told me, or the Spirit showed me that I need to do it. But they're not saying, well, they were reading the Word, they were reading the Bible, and that they saw that. Oh, they, they're some, it's, it's some kind of whispering or some type of, just some type of light bulb that goes off in their head, and that's the Spirit. Yeah, and I don't know why they're ascribing this to the Spirit. I've had some Christians tell me that the Spirit brought this to pass or that to pass. I remember one time uh, uh, an individual came to worship services on a Sunday morning uh, and the sermon just happened to really address what that guy needed to hear uh, and there was a Christian who told me I just love it when the Holy Spirit works things out like that well why would that be the Holy now I think that it could have been providential but I'm, I'm, I'm I can't prove providence i think it probably was providential but i don't think providence necessarily is the is the uh the territory of the holy spirit exclusively i think god works providentially but the very nature of providence says i can't prove it but a lot of people want to assign things to the holy spirit and they they speak with such certainty that the holy spirit does this or that and I, I believe in providence, but I'm not going to assign that to any particular member of the Godhead. Uh, I'm going to pray and and believe that God answers prayers, 
But, you know, the idea that some people have some mystical notion of the Holy Spirit and his work that just not cannot be borne out in the scriptures. Josh? No, no thoughts. OK. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's troubling. Again, if the spirit's doing this, if it's working in some way to tell you something that doesn't tell me, then why don't we get into some issues here with God and his respecter of person? I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, we got a minute here, Jacob. Let me tell everybody about an upcoming event we've got here at College okay. View. All right. January 28th and 29th. That's a Saturday and a Sunday. The end of this month, last weekend of this month, Saturday and Sunday. We're going to have uh, uh, some lessons especially uh, directed with application toward our young people, uh, but we're encouraging everybody to attend. And so it's, it's more akin to a gospel meeting, but the lessons that will be presented have been specially planned for for the attention of our young people and application in their lives. Uh, we're going to have two sessions on Saturday the 28th at 4 in the afternoon and at 7 in the evening, 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock, Saturday the 28th. Sunday at our regular times on Sunday morning, 9.30 and 10.30, and then a 2.30 afternoon session on the 29th. Ken McDaniel from Springfield, Illinois, will be here to teach those lessons. And we hope that everybody will make a note on their calendar. If you're within a driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, uh, please come, especially young people. Uh, these lessons will be very important for you to hear. Yeah. Uh, mark your calendar. Bring your young people. Load them up and uh, bring a van load. Josh, you're going to be here, right? Lord willing. Yeah, Lord willing. Lord willing. Uh-huh. But you're not, you're sort of on the verge of not being one of the Yeah, I'm not young anymore. Yeah, you're still young. Guy. <laughs> All right. Well, you still need to hear it, Josh. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Make, if you got questions about that, questions at collegeu.com. And there's a flyer on our homepage that, that will go. give you the details. com or collegeu.com. That's actually on collegeu.com. Yeah, but you'll get there the same, you can get there the same way. Um, and, um, if you've got a suggestion for a future edition of the program, and maybe it's, you know, let's say, well, this is a simple question. It won't take very long to answer. Send it. We can put it in with those those programs we answer multiple questions on. And it doesn't even have to be a question that you are stumped about. Maybe you already know the answer, but you think others might benefit from a discussion. You know, we were we had a we had a recorded program running before the live program began tonight as we were trying to tweak some of these new instruments and and that was one of those nights where we dealt with four or five different questions and and uh, they were not related to one another but but we always have lots of interest in those kind of programs so send in your questions all right josh thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come be with us tonight thank you for having me i enjoyed it appreciate your comments as well and dad thank you for a good discussion thank you for joining us uh for the first program of 2017 lord willing there'll be more to come look forward to talking with you again this time next week in the meantime we encourage you to put god first in your life study his inspired word the bible and live by it every day you'll never regret it Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.